Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right, my guest today is Top Lim, the co-founder of FinHero. For those of you who don't know, FinHero is a fintech solutions provider operating a finance-as-a-service platform, ranging from credit scoring, KYC, collections, and even supply chain financing. Thank you very much for being here today, Top Lim. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So take me back. I always want to know the origin story with entrepreneurs. So how did you start along the entrepreneurial journey? And how did you land upon FinHero as the company that you wanted to start? Sure. So yeah, so Kevin, I talk a lot. So you know, if I'm, I'm boring, just, just stop me. Um, so I'll just take you back to probably my corporate days. So just give you a bit of background. Um, I actually came from the equipment financing world uh, for most parts of my career. And, uh, you know, I had, the, I had the opportunity to work for a couple of foreign banks. Um, they were not retail, so uh, you wouldn't know their brand. So they were CIT from America. Mm-hmm. And I worked for Macquarie for a while. Uh, and the last kind of stint in my career was with the Dell Bank, the Dell Financial Services. Yep. So when I was there, um, you know, I, I, I did a lot of uh, what I call in Finier Day supply chain financing, which is ultimately providing terms for the distributors and dealers uh, for the equipment, which was Dell predominantly, and also leasing, right? equipment financing, uh, which mm-hmm. goes up to 60 months. So when I was working there, you know, I, 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 I was doing sales, so I was supposed to originate deals, and I always felt very frustrated with how long it takes um, to, to, to go through the cycle of getting some form of financing for these businesses. Um, and then at that time, I felt, you know, there was technology that I could use uh, to kind of solve uh, a lot of the functions and the problems I saw. And also, secondly, was, you know, um, true story, I, I, I was having dinner to, with one of the, the Japanese funders that we were using, and he was retiring that year. And I asked him, how, how long has, has he been working for that particular company? And that time, I was still in my early 30s, and he told me 37 years. So that also got me thinking about, wow, you know, am I able to work another You get the view into the future. Yeah, exactly. So that that kind of, that night I couldn't sleep, right? So the combination of me seeing a lot of problems which can be solved with tech, um, I I, I planned for it for a couple of years. Um, You know, when I left, my my wife was actually pregnant with my second child. So, um, you know, I had to do proper planning and then, um, you know, I I, I, the plan was to solve the problems, and here I am today, four or five years later. Okay, okay. And that must have been a little bit nerve-wracking to make the decision when you have another baby on the way, you already have one kid, to say, hey, I'm going to leave the stability of this yeah. career that I know that there's a predictable pathway, and I'm just going to go 
take a risk and start something. How, how was how was that? And how was the support needed from from your wife and family? So absolutely, Kevin. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, not to be, not to sound arrogant or whatnot. I mean, I left a top job, right? Uh, it was a regional portfolio for the Dell Bank. I think my portfolio at that time was about 1.5 billion US dollars per year. Um, and I was taking care of South Asia, Japan, Australia. Um, so I was the man in terms of equipment financing mm-hmm. Dell. Dell is a top-notch producer for IT. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was getting really good pay. I was, you know, traveling in uh, four or five-star hotel versus a startup life where I had to start off in like, you know, <laughs> I, I think as bad as no windows, 50 ringgit room and all that, right? So it was a huge adjustment. Um, but I, I, I think until today, in fact, uh, just for lunch, I met an old schoolmate of mine. I said, I don't ever want to look back and wonder what if. Um, and it was clear that I saw a lot of problems that could be solved. Um, I also saw a lot of um, politics that I didn't really want to be involved with anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do want to make a positive impact um, to the financial system and to society in general. Um, so, you know, I do tell my team today that if we do any projects that don't have a positive impact or you don't think have a positive impact, uh, let's have a discussion or let's not do it at all. Okay. Okay. So you have a little bit more control over making sure that you, what you're doing is what you want to be doing, not what you have to be doing. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So what, what was the starting point then in order to st- step off on your own? So what's, what's the product is what, what does day zero of the product look like when you're just getting going? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that was an interesting part. I think when we, when Finhure ultimately set out, uh, it was to, be a digital uh, equipment financing, so a digital leasing provider. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, when you start out with the plan and when you actually step into the real world, you, you realize that, okay, what I really want to do is probably not what I can do initially, right? Because there's 101 problems that you got to deal with, like OPEX, mm-hmm. ash flows, and all this kind of stuff. So... To survive, um, I think what we had to do, uh, so, sorry, number one was, I think we had to make a very uh, strong, deci- a big decision in the first year after raising our seed capital amongst uh, me and my co-founders um, to just spend the money and build the tech ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the idea was to raise some, some form of investment to match with the, uh, the tech that we built so we can go to the market. Um, but then the challenge came and kind of like uh, the problem we saw was, okay, it's not so easy to go and raise capital uh, from the public and, and just lend to people, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, com- and then parallel, you have your uh, regulation and all that. So, so that conversation with the SC, um, you know, that, that was also interesting. Uh, but then we found out that for leasing and factoring, you actually don't need a license anymore for 2013 because it's a form of asset lending. But anyhow, the challenge was getting investment to, to the fund type to, to start lending. So I mean, long story short, we built the tech, we had the tech, right? So our propriety and engine is our OCR credit score. And so we were able to analyze SME financials or corporate financials, um, you know, in, in, in a few minutes compared to the traditional world, which takes, you know, weeks or whatever it takes, right? Um, so we had the tech. Um, so we had to kind of pivot and then position the tech to 
so-called our early clients as, hey, why don't we white label our technology for you? Are you already a financing institution or high net worth individual that wanted to do some form of lending, invoice, financing, whatnot? Um, so I can tell you our first kind of project was to support a high net worth individual um, who wanted to do uh, invoice financing because he saw a lot of those problems as well. So we actually white label uh, what, what we call finance as a service today for 15,000 ringgit. So that was my first uh, kind of uh, revenue, right? And that 15,000 for was what for was for what sort of period? That was uh, that was a one-time fee. That was a monthly. That was an annual. That was an onboarding fee, right? Onboarding. Um, and, I, and, and I'm proud to say, well, our onboarding fee today is definitely not 15,000. That's a tech we built cost <laughs> a hell of a lot more, right? But, you know, we had to do what we had to do, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was the start. And then, you know, very proud to say today we're, you know, we've, we're operating, uh, we've operated a P2P platform. So we've got experience in regulated environments. Our OCR engines, you know, we, we, we do it for some credit bureaus in Malaysia and Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we're rolling out, we've rolled out our supply chain uh, financing programs. Uh, we just signed a collaboration agreement like a couple of weeks ago with IPay88. So very happy, very excited um, to see what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. So on the tech side, are are you or one of your co-founders, the technical co-founder that was writing the code or did you end up having to hire or outsource? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's always the big question for, I guess, co-founders such as myself who don't have technology. Mm. Um, so I was fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have one of my co-founders, Charles Tang, um, who's our kind of de facto CTO. Okay. Uh, to kind of build our tech. So from a company perspective, we outsourced the development um, and he built, uh, his company built uh, a lot of tech for us. Um, but, you know, over, over the course of the few years, um, we've managed to stabilize them. We have um, other uh, development companies that's, that support us. Um, so we have a really, relatively healthy ecosystem um, to support our projects for external parties and for mm-hmm. ourselves. So we have a combination. Okay. Okay. And so then the, the OCR engine, I imagine that companies are sending you like scanned copies or PDF copies of their financial statements. So you need something that can actually turn that unstructured data into structured data that you can actually analyze and cut down that human element and the time required to go through that sort of information. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's, that's a very big, I think, uh, differentiator uh, of fit hero versus what's out there in the market is, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do have that experience and that so-called formula and algorithm, right, to structure that data, whatever the OCR picks up. Um, and I think that's, that's a very key important factor because I always tell my team is, or my clients is, my, my objective, one of the reasons why I left was I always found it very frustrating when, you know, back in the days when I was working, selling, uh, financing, uh, will the credit will always come back and, and ask for more information mm-hmm. right uh, from the SME or from the corporate over a couple of weeks and then decline them right um, and then you know we're funding the customers so you can imagine what we had to deal with yeah. so I always tell today is if we're going to decline somebody decline them fast so they can go mm-hmm. and look for other options because unfortunately the reality is the way fi- traditional financing students drag the decision uh, and gives them hope, uh, 
it could be a big problem for some of these SMEs. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can certainly understand that. I mean, there's a, there's an aspect of simply the time required for them to do the analysis because the the information is coming in in a way that they spend manual labor hours. They're balancing multiple companies at the same time, so it's not one by one. It's yeah. a little bit of a, my time here, and then it's over the course of say two weeks or whatever sort of course of time, in order to finally turn it around. In which case, you know, the borrower is thinking, ah, it's locked up. They're doing this amount of analysis and little do they know that it could end up coming out as a no. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the other thing also um, is I, I feel, I think a lot of the kind of delays or the inefficiencies in the traditional financing system is actually caused by humans, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, naturally because, in my world, we were, you know, we deal with ticket sizes in the 50,000 ringgit to, you know, one, two million uh, uh, ringgit ticket sizes. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, in the traditional finance world, when, when that kind of ticket size goes to a salesperson or a credit person, they purposely delay it. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm one, I was one of those, guilty as charged, mm-hmm. purposely delay it. So we make the customers feel that you know, the importance uh, of what we're doing, right? Uh, but actually something that could be done uh, manually in, in one, two days or whatever it is, they'll purposely drag it to a couple of days or a week just to give that extra value. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it shows a lot of, uh, you know, human kind of attributes which created these delays. So with the technology we've, we've put in, um, you know, it removes that and it's much more accurate as well because we can now do a lot of small transactions without having that emotional baggage mm-hmm. uh, to come in and uh, analyze some kind of profile of credit. Yeah, okay. And is, is the use case, you know, if, if somebody's coming coming to you, are, are they looking to say like factor their receivables, either like an individual invoice or perhaps their entire book of receivables or is it more on you know, help me finance this equipment that I need to purchase? Yeah, so FinHero, um, our supply chain in particular, um, with IPay88, uh, we, we focus on um, program um, financing. So we, we traditionally work with uh, merchants of IPay88, where there's really some kind of historical data that we can mm-hmm. look at, and also manufacturers and distributors to provide liquidity to extend terms or provide leasing um, to their equipment. Uh, we, don't, we don't traditionally entertain uh, walk-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you're some ABC, Sundan Berhad, uh, just looking for some financing and we don't have kind of data of your trade and there's no relationship, so we, we probably won't do those. Um, so we focus on what we call program-based lending. Um, and that's something that I picked up from, you know, my corporate days when I was working for CIT. Um, I think CIT was or is still uh, one of the largest and best vendor financing providers in the world today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so the, the data points that you gather from this relationship that you're setting up with IPD88, so essentially you're able to look down at it on the, on this downstream sort of what's yes. the revenue, what's the consistency out of it look like, and then leverage that information to go back and do the vendor financing on 
who the what let's say they're buying from a wholesaler of whatever xyz good yeah uh, to be able to facilitate that side of it so the payment terms are now matching up with the revenue collection cycle and you have the data in order to kind of validate historically yeah absolutely so i think we have to understand that the current traditional financing done by the banks mainly is collateral based lending yeah. So what we look into is more of cash flow based lending. Mm. Um, so we have to understand um, all the cash flow revenues and what they come from. And with technology and our risk mitigation processes, uh, we, are, we usually are able to deduct from the sales source, right? Um, so very exciting sometime, uh, hopefully in Q2 in April, uh, as of now, we will be able to provide cash flow to IP88 uh, merchants based on their uh, re- sales revenue and whatnot. Um, and, and to be able to collect from, from source. So okay. it introduces the uh, uh, risk significantly. Okay. Now, with it, with it being cash flow based, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption and assume that you're, you're talking about more short term uh, structures. Yeah, somewhere three months, six months, maybe even shorter, somewhere around that range? Absolutely. So, 90 to 120 days is a sweet spot for invoice financing. Mm. Um, but I think the first that's going to be introduced uh, in this region is also to um, leasing facilities, but deducting off the payments from the merchant sales. So that will probably be one of the first in the region, which I'm very excited to roll out. Okay, tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. So you're you're essentially going to take the merchant payments and and be 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 ha, ha, be able to kind of redirect some of that payment flow in order to pay off, or how is it? Yeah, so for example, uh, for example, just to give you kind of like a default case is, you know, we look at a merchant and we understand that their sales revenue in the past 12 months is X amount. Mm-hmm. So we provide a loan to sales value of, let's say, 30%. So just for conversation purposes, their revenue is about a million a year, right? Mm-hmm. So we're more than happy to um, do an asset-based kind of lending up to 300,000 ringgit, right? And then they can choose... Um, to, to pay off their payments um, up to 60 months if it's leasing and for invoices up to, to 90 days or 120 days, right, mm-hmm. uh, with exceptions. Um, but the, the, the difference is because of technologies and the programs that we run, uh, we will be able to deduct off the payments that are owed to us or the funder uh, from their sales directly uh, using um, the various technologies that we have. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that, 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 that makes sense. And how, how many, out of curiosity, how many customers, uh, how many borrowers, I should say, rather, uh, are out there? How, how, is the, how is this scaled up over time? And are they, are they geographically dispersed or is it primarily within Malaysia, northern, southern, all across? How is it? So currently, currently, uh, currently it's, it's in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, are, we hopefully will expand this offering to Thailand this year. Okay. Uh, at the very least, and of course, we're targeting Singapore, Indonesia, and Philippines in the next six to eighteen months, right? Depending on how fast we can roll this out. Um, predominantly, of course, our main partner right now is IPay88. So they're the largest online payment gateway uh, in in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and because they are now, I think, owned by I, uh, NTT Docomo. So mm-hmm. they also have um, various uh, payment gateways in Southeast Asia. So we, we definitely hope to leverage off uh, that program. But we ourselves also have networks with manufacturers and distributors focusing on the IT industry. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we just signed up one of the largest Apple resellers uh, in the country, and we hope to expand out our device as a service offering, uh, which is a form of leasing mm-hmm. um, throughout uh, Southeast Asia as well. So the expansion roadmap for us in the next 12 to 18 months looks very exciting. Um, now it's just a matter of, you know, planning the resources and, and hopefully the world uh, remains predictive out of this COVID situation uh, and we can, you know, push on uh, as how we want and how we plan. Okay, okay. Let, let, me, let me flip back uh, towards, towards those earlier days because I think one of, one of the challenges oftentimes is that, is that kind of the cold start of, of getting up and running. So you got the tech built, all of that. Um, I'm, I'm going to make a guess and say the, the aspect on the borrower side, there's always a pretty strong demand for capital. So finding somebody that wants to be to borrow is, is less challenging than finding pools of capital uh, to then lend out. How did you go about in those early days? I know you talked about white label, you talked about P2P. How did you end up getting those initial steps? And was it as much of a struggle as I'm imagining? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when you're a startup and your, your, your brand is not recognized in the beginning, it's very hard to do anything, right? Particularly when it involves uh, financing, mm. uh, B2B financing in particular. Um, you know, I always had the questions, are you a loan shark? Are you regulated? Are you all this kind of stuff? Which are the right questions, right? Sure. Um, but I generally am a very lazy person, right? <laughs> So um, what I've been doing actually is actually just replicating um, the product offerings from the West and developed countries like Australia, America, and Europe uh, to this part of the world and and localizing it. So, and part of my network from the corporate days was, you know, already in that B2B kind of business. And, you know, I had relationships with some Mm -hmm. of the distributors already. So that definitely helped uh, kick off the momentum. And also from a, you know, startup uh, environment, you know, you got to do what you got to do or what mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, like my first kind of white label of my systems, which cost a lot of money, we white label for 15,000 ringgit. Right? I mean, <laughs> we'll never find that deal anywhere else, right? Um, you know, so I guess we, we you know, we, you know, I, I remember my, a good friend of mine challenged me. It's like, talk, stop talking so much. Talk to me after you find that first customer, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like the first few months I started. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. First customer. Easy. And, and it was a struggle, right? I think it took me a good year or so, right? Or, or maybe even longer to, to get that first customer after, you know, convincing the customers of our product and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just, just, just persistence, you know, just keep on going. Um, and, and just not giving up and, you know, somehow or another, whether it's luck or your network, somebody maybe pities you, they'll give you your first kind of uh, project or sale. Okay. And, and did the white label side of it end up expanding and becoming the predominant component or is the, is the, P, is the P2P uh, side a larger? Yeah, I mean, we predominantly, I, we predominantly set out to be the, the funder, right? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. The reality is we, we couldn't do that. Um, um, and we needed, you know, revenue streams to, to pay for bills and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So we, we had to kind of uh, get revenue streams from that until today. Uh, it's turned out to be quite lucrative. Uh, the margins are quite high on, 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 on these kind of uh, system integrated type of projects. Yep. Um, so we decided as a management to continue that business, right? Um, but now we are definitely focusing alongside tech 
um, to also be a digital financier of the mm -hmm. supply chain. And our ultimate goal is to be a cross-border financier for ASEAN, right? Uh, for most parts of ASEAN, because there is a very big gap there and uh, there's not many solutions, uh, even from the fintech space, to, to kind of fill in that gap. And would be that be off of your own balance sheet or would that be kind of playing that, that kind of system integrator role as well? Yeah, so currently we have various funders uh, to mm. support our programs, um, some local players, some foreign players. Okay. Uh, we are in the midst of setting up some funds of our own with some overseas uh, institutions, uh, okay. America and, and of course uh, in Europe as well and Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, we're very excited. Again, like I mentioned, the next 12 to 18 months uh, is, is, or 6 to 18 months is very exciting for us. There's a lot of new uh, things that we're rolling out. Um, and, you know, my belief has always been digitalize what works, right? So yeah. I think the traditional world's uh, financing was working. It was mm -hmm. just slow and inefficient. Um, so again, leveraging off my previous relationships from my corporate world and, and my networks and all that, I'm just hoping to, uh, to digitalize what is working in the traditional world and, of course, improve it uh, and, and ultimately reduce that uh, SME financing gap that we have across the world ultimately yeah yeah def definitely a big problem in in malaysia a big problem in southeast asia and 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 really a problem all across um i i am curious because you have you have so much uh so much contact and network throughout this space when your old colleagues and your old contact network saw you building up fin hero did some of them come knocking and say hey let's let, let let me white label let me let me jump on be one of the funders because a lot of the traditional banks they're trying to fill a loan book they're trying to fill out their portfolios as well and so have they come seeking and saying hey let me lend through you as well well, unfortunately, they can come seeking. Uh, it's probably more of the other way, like me begging. <laughs> um, well, startup you know, life in the beginning, at least. <laughs> yeah, but actually, ironically, is um, a lot of the traditional institutions that I had networked with, after the pandemic or during the pandemic, they started to realize that, okay, we really need to digitalize our offerings. Otherwise, mm. uh, as simple as their staff couldn't access um, information during pandemic, uh, now they see the importance. Um, so a lot of that, I, I had to go back and beg him, like, can you please fund our deals and all that? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a handful where it's looking at the tech. So naturally, um, how we build our revenue streams is we try to take a clip of uh, every transaction, a small clip, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, when we set up our own funds and all that, that, that will increase our margins. So I guess a long, long short answer is... Uh, it's a combination of me having to beg and not them coming to me, but, you know, they're in focus on the tech that we've built, um, particularly the, the credit scoring stuff we've done for SMEs. Um, so looking forward to, to hopefully um, kind of white labeling our, our technology as well for some of the traditional institutions. Okay. Okay. Let, let me let me jump a little bit further into the credit scoring side of it because you know you, we we talked about the OCR engine ext extracting the information. You know, 
what's I mean, with without getting into too many of the proprietary details of it, which you probably don't want to disclose, what what other inputs do you end up having and how do you end up cranking out that information? I know we talked about getting the revenue and the cash flow information from like partnership with IPADA, but from a yeah. traditional standpoint, is there any non-traditional data points or is it really kind of simplifying how am I extracting the financial statement, the 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 other sorts of numeric information? Well, a lot of the um, scoring we're doing today is a combination of, you know, the usual stuff, right? Uh, credit credit bureau information, mm-hmm. which is old data, by the way. Yeah. Um, and we got to couple it with, you know, our technology, which reads bank statements and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the traditional stuff. And to be frank, that's what we've been digitalizing for most parts uh, of FinHero's lifetime. Um, however, me personally, I believe that there's definitely a space that we can look at in terms of machine learning or even deep learning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look and analyze this data, uh, when we crawl through the web, you know, for certain qualitative uh, data that, that, frankly, we have not um, factored in. Uh, but that's something that definitely we will do uh, in the near future because I think that's where the future is going to be, right? It's, you know, it's many more factors rather than just financials. Um, I hope, you know, for it to be as crisp as, you know, when the weather changes one day, um, you know, people don't pay you or pay you late or whatever. And that's the kind of behavior uh, that we hope to, to see from, um, from the AI perspective. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like there's been a lot more creativity going into credit scoring for personal uh, lending, yeah. as opposed to in the B2B space. B2B seems to be kind of much more traditional, hasn't evolved as much as you've seen on the personal side, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I don't have much experience on the consumer side, but mm. uh, for the B2B side, I always what I say is genuine businesses will pay. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I think the the what we're trying to find out is whether this business is genuine. So hence all the program based lending because those are genuine businesses with historical trade. Um, where I'm really afraid personally, and what I've experienced in in my career is actually the syndicates. Okay. So the syndicates they're very good at this, and they take a lot of time to to build the financials and whatnot. And when they're ready, they, 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 they'll do a clean sweep among all the non-banking institutions. Unfortunately, I saw that in 2022. Um, a lot of my networks in the non-banking institutions got mm-hmm. burned by one of, a couple of these syndicates. So to be frank, that's where I, I hope the technologies that we will build or building will be able to detect these kind of things. Because what... Um, the AI or machines can do versus the humans can't do is we can't absorb like hundreds of data points at one mm. time. But machines, we can train it to do that, mm-hmm. right? But also the trick of AI and machine learning is we got to feed it tons of data, which at this point, um, you know, we're getting there, but we need much more data. Um, so it's definitely something we're going to develop and progress. Um, I'm happy to say that we are definitely one of the front runners to be looking at this kind of stuff. I don't expect anybody in the market, um, particularly the legacy providers, to be doing this as well. And if they are, they're definitely not ahead of us. So, you know, we have to understand that fintech in general is still evolving kind of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really need to be agile and see what works 
for us in the market, the most efficient way. Um, and, you know, technologies, particularly AI and machine learning, deep learning, it's, there's so much to do for, for the financial industry. Uh, and I'm very proud to say that FinHero is right smack in the middle of it. And we have all the resources to, um, to utilize um, all this technology and bring it to the business-to-business world to reduce risk and most importantly also to provide necessary liquidity so business in the industry can grow from a financing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's just so many data points as as you said that AL that AI can end up capturing. Um yeah. it can it has a better capacity to improve its decision making over time by recognizing what has happened and then updating itself. Uh, it may lack kind of the gut feeling intuition that has historically been in some of the finance trade, uh, but I'd, I'd rather kind of solid data. Yeah. And, and just to add one more thing, Kevin, is I'm very excited also from a technology standpoint, because like I mentioned to you, my ultimate vision is to provide cross-border financing mm-hmm. for particular extended terms of some of uh, the, the IT kind of purchases sure. uh, in the region. So because of the cross-border payments technology and all that, that we're working closely with some providers, um, that allows us um, to collect payments from various countries cross-border, which brings down the risk significantly. Mm-hmm. So even if you wanted to do this 10 years ago, it would not be possible, mm-hmm. right? So I'm very, very excited and very happy uh, to be in this part of, of this type of evolution uh, in the industry. Um, and I hope FinHero... Uh, Will, will be a big part of it and provide some awesome kind of liquidity program using advanced technology in the near future. And how how is it navigating some of the regulatory environment? Because you know, you, in the in the early days, you mentioned that that factoring in that was wasn't necessarily. I'm not sure if it has become uh, subject to regulation, but certainly when you start talking about some of the cross border, there yeah. ends up being some more red tape that you have to go through, some stamps of approval and so forth. How has it been navigating that? Yeah, so we're focused on asset-based lending, right? Which is always a form of, you know, uh, leasing or invoice. So there's some always some kind of hard asset behind uh, mm-hmm. the paperwork. So uh, most countries in the world today, as long as it's a form of asset-based lending, um, the regulatory uh, environment is less stringent because you're not technically lending money, right? It can be structured as a form of trading uh, or of some form. So that's also one of the, also one of the uh, big factors of why we're focusing on the supply chain because there's less regulatory hurdles mm-hmm. um, because it's asset-based lending. Okay. So again, uh, that's, that's definitely a differentiator because if you see a lot of the alternative-based lending today, uh, the regulatory framework is quite heavy, uh, mm-hmm. i.e. P2P and all that, crowdfunding yeah. and all that. Yeah, because yeah. they are, I think, SC and SECs around the world, they want to protect the investors. But because mm-hmm. ours is B2B, it's asset-based lending, the regulatory hurdle is much less, right? Um, but of course, the, the barrier to enter this type of financing is also much higher because you got to have the networks and the know-hows to, mm-hmm. to navigate in the ecosystem. 
But and and you're looking at more the the cash flow based understanding the underlying asset, but more looking at it uh, comparing that to the cash flow base as a, as opposed to being the strip more strictly collateralized. Uh, that some of the ABL uh, players out there have historically done. Yeah. So you're, if somebody goes into default, you're not having to figure out, okay, how am I going to go pick up this piece of equipment and resell it? Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so definitely. So again, because of um, our experience and, you know, uh, a lot of the, 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 the so-called financing that we do have some form of insurance, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we collect from the sale. So it's relatively low risk, uh, unlike some of these alternative options in the market, um, you know, which is lending to high risk profiles. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, if you see some of the default rates in some of these platforms are relatively high. Um, and unfortunately, this is where I think the regulators need to do a better job is I think they need to, be more transparent with that because what I'm seeing with other providers is they're masking these defaults by terming it something else. Mm. Uh, and that's not very good for the investor base, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a mis- it's a misrepresentation essentially, yeah. uh potentially. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more. We, we you've you've referenced that it's going to be a very busy uh, upcoming uh, year and and beyond as a lot of different things start rolling out. Uh, so I guess le- you you had mentioned an expansion towards Thailand. So I guess yeah. let let me let me zero in on that and talk about you know is it the cross border or are you going to replicate the full model that you have here in Malaysia into Thailand as well and that. Hopefully, cross border also is a part, or is it? Is it the key or the the also? It's a bit of both. So um, the strategic kind of expansions that we're doing um, will usually involve or will involve a local partner because mm-hmm. um, the environment we're in B two B, you gotta have the local presence to help with the local markets and also the regulators, right? Um, but that also concurrently sets us up to help us mitigate the risk when we enter cross-border financing, mm-hmm. right? Because um, one of the reasons why the traditional finances don't do cross-border financing is because of the recourse, right? If something happens, they don't have recourse. So when we are set up in multiple uh, jurisdictions, uh, we should have the recourse. So that brings our risk down significantly. Mm-hmm. You couple it with the payment technologies that we, we, will have, access, we have access to, um, that definitely gives us a huge advantage versus traditional financing. Um, so it's a bit of both. Um, and also for Thai, Thailand, it's, I'm half Thai. Uh, my mom's Thai. I speak ah, okay. Thai. Okay. I, love, I love Thailand. So naturally, that is uh, a progression for me. Uh, maybe some, some may say it's more of a personal um, want, but that could be it. But obviously, it's not only Thailand. We have aspirations for Singapore, Indonesia, Philippines. Uh, depending on you know the the resources and the timing and our partnerships that we find. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's cross border, Thailand is a huge trading partner with with Malaysia. So there's a lot of cross border activity there. Um, so there's so there's certainly something there. But when you, when you say having a local partner, are, are you talking about essentially looking at establishing joint ventures in each market or? bringing on somebody that ends up becoming a shareholder in the overall, but is the, is the, is the essentially the country manager uh, or are you still kind of working those sort of things out? Yeah. 
Well, by default, it would be our preference to have majority stake of wherever we go to. But unfortunately, mm. some of the regulatory uh, limitations doesn't allow us to do that. Sure. Um, so, like, for example, Thailand, there's a limitation on foreign ownership at 49%. So naturally, we have to look for a, a local partnership. Um, you know, again, I, I don't have a, a, a kind of one-size-fits-all answer uh, to your question. Yeah. Uh, it really depends on the local environment and, and the regulatory kind of uh, requirements. Okay. Uh, what, what do you see as the biggest hurdle in your way to accomplishing this? Is it, is it the regulatory? Is it finding the proper partner? Or what is the biggest hurdle? I think it's acceptance. Acceptance in the general market to understand that you know, we do have digital alternative financing options um, because if you look back in Southeast Asia, particularly in the past couple of decades, it's traditionally been the banks and unfortunately the loan sharks, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That have been providing financing. So anything in between, you know, you get the questions of who you are, mm. are you a loan shark, are you a bank and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's, that's the, the biggest hurdle. Regulatory wise, I mentioned because we're asset-based lending, I don't think those are too heavy to kind of overcome. Um, and again, because of our experience around our network, um, you know, we should navigate the regulatory part quite easily. So to overcome the, the main hurdle, which I see is acceptance, is uh, marketing and education. And I think, okay. I think our roadmap is to invest a lot in sales and marketing in the next six to 18 months uh, to educate the ecosystem uh, of all these options that we're going to bring uh, to the market. Okay, to try and establish that kind of that kind of trust factor, the the acceptance. Who are you? Why should I go through you? Is it safe? All of those sort of like trust related uh, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and and also I think you know to be to be fair, um, you know the regulators in Southeast Asia or most parts of what I see are trying to to kind of support right mm-hmm. uh, the fintech space. Uh, the reality is the technology has way moved way fast and, and, and forward right compared to the regulators and i don't yeah. blame the regulators it is what it is yeah um so you know i also you know i i participate in a lot of the kind of government programs and whatnot mm-hmm. you know, just to educate everybody because we're only going to be successful if there's an ecosystem and unfortunately yeah. you know five years ago was now it's improved tremendously but we still have a long way to go and I think the key to success is working with everybody. Um, you know, it's a really big opportunity. Um, and, you know, like they say, right, if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. And I think, um, you know, ecosystem play is a very important factor for, for the success of everybody. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's a fantastic point uh, as as far as far as the necessity of having an ecosystem and 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 going at it together. Uh, let me let me wrap up here uh, with my couple of final closing questions that I ask everyone. Uh, and the first one of those is, what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? Um, tech tool that could be hardware as well, right? Um, Can. I think it's going to be my my mobile smartphone, right? Mm. Um, I think I can do a lot of things with that. And, and yeah, always on the go. Uh, the the you're never you're never away from the office, which is kind of a double edged sword in and of exactly. itself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last last question here is: If you were to talk to another startup founder that's just getting going, what would be your biggest piece of advice? 
Right. So um, actually, I've you know uh, naturally I, I've been giving some talks to to other uh, organizations and, and interviews. What I always say, particularly in my space, the business to business space, there's a lot of people in the corporate world trying to come out and and start up. My advice to them is never try and do both at the same time. It doesn't mm -hmm. work. Um, I tried to do it myself uh, when I was working. Uh, it always it always ended up in failure or somebody cheating uh, my investments. Um, so my advice is if you want to do a startup, make sure uh, you give it 100%, I think, or else it's going to be hard to succeed. Yeah, building a startup is incredibly hard. And like, it's okay to like tinker as a side project, but if you want to scale something, it requires a lot of dedication. I, I, can't, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Um, yeah, I, th I think the, the, the idea of moonlighting is, is essentially impossible. Well, this, this is fantastic. Thank you very much for being here, Toplim. This, this has been a great conversation and, and really exciting as we're seeing more developments in the fintech space and with what you're doing with FinHero. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me and I hope to see you soon. Excellent. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brockland from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.